0: Amen. Man, it's always like after stuff like that, it's like, why bother even preaching? (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we're gathered today here uh, to uh, experience worship and the word and ministry. My name is Jason Zastro. Let me welcome you to Apex. I serve on staff here as our growing team lead. Uh, we're very excited to invite you to house church or household. If you haven't checked one of those out yet, uh, there are walls on either side of the hallway uh, that have the, that have little cards with our house churches and households. In case you want to connect deeper into community and life on mission. Uh, well. Um, I've been at Apex for 10 years now, Um, and if anyone who's been here uh, for a while knows anything about me, I'm the resident single guy. Um, I have uh, uh, cherished my singleness, I celebrate my singleness, I celebrate single people. I think we're the best um, because we get stuff done. Um, However, I am single no more. Uh, Yeah, it's a very exciting experience of celebration. Uh, I've been dating Becky uh, right here for the last year. Um, And on uh, Saturday morning at 2 a.m., Becky got on one knee and asked me to marry her. So if you know anything about us, we're pretty non-traditional, uh, so it was uh, just par for the course, and uh, we're very excited about uh, just uh, exploring this next stage of our journey as, uh, um, as fiances and we definitely cover your your, your <laughs> cover your guys' prayer. Um, so one of the things that's actually for me that uh, has been difficult uh, in the last month or so, um, has really been a question at the core of, of this engagement. Um, and it's one that I've realized I've been carrying around as chains. Um, and it's the question of, am I lovable? Um, and it's not like a singleness versus marriage thing that defines that lovability. I mean, my goodness, yesterday, when we were getting ready to go around to our parents and tell them the good news, I was in the car f- completely freaking out about going to Mike and Sally's because there was something in me that questioned whether or not they actually loved me. Something deep in me. Not just, does Becky love me, does my family lovely, love me, but even more deeply, does the God of the universe love me? Maybe that's not your insecurity. Maybe that's not your question. Maybe your question is, do I have value? Do I have worth? Do I have a voice? Am I respected? Do I have purpose? These type of questions are great questions. They're questions that have been instilled on us by our Creator God. There are questions that call us to sit at his feet as we ask these questions and and he teaches us and speaks his love and his truth over us but there are also questions that the enemy grabs a hold of and he takes them and just like the enemy does he weasels his way in and speaks lies over us and these chains hold us down Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 24, and we're going to see just the power of actually breaking free from chains, the power that comes when we stand in the confidence of the resurrection, the power that comes with the gift of the Spirit, which we celebrate today on Pentecost. So, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Acts, so I'm gonna retell the story a little bit, if you don't mind. As you guys remember, Jesus came. Uh, He raised up the 12, raised up the 72. Uh, He appeared to 500. On Pentecost, the Spirit came down and thousands were saved. Peter was called to go to Cornelius, and we see that the mission of God extended to the nations, to the Gentiles. But while that was going on, there was a persecutor of the church by a man named Saul. Saul gloried in being a Pharisee. Saul gloried in all of these great accolades about himself and his education and the tribe that he came from. And he gloried so much in those things and his pride was so great that he began to murder those who found themselves who chose to be part of the way who were part of the Church of Christ. And then Paul had an experience on the Damascus Road in which Jesus appears to Paul in this magnificent revelation and he asks Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul's eyes were glazed over, he couldn't see and and when The scales fall off his eyes. He was called into a new ministry to the nations. Paul was radically freed from his pride that led to anger and hate and death. The chains were broken for him. As the love of God consumed him and sent him to the nations. In the sending, he went to the least of these, the lost. In In the book of Galatians, we read how he has this radical new vision of what humanity is at the foot of the cross where there's neither Greek nor Jew, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female that in Christ there's a new humanity that is being born and all the nations get to join in as the nations. As Paul's going around and declaring this message and forming communities, there are people who are following after Paul, who want to attack Paul, who want to imprison Paul, who believe that Paul is a heretic. And he goes on a couple missionary journeys, taking the gospel for the first time to Europe. And then on his last missionary journey, he comes down to a place called Miletus, up just around Ephesus, calls the Ephesian elders to come down. And there in that place, he shares the good news with them one last time and sends them out as we see the church grow and multiply. He goes down to Jerusalem, even though he's warned not to, And it's in Jerusalem that Peter, James, and John meet him and say, the whole city's been saved, even look, even the Pharisees. But there's rumors that you're telling even the Jews to forsake the law of Moses. So if you go into this place right now, they're going to kill you. So what you need to do is you need to take a Nazarite vow, which was a very expensive endeavor that Paul handed uh, that Paul paid for himself and he took these four other men into the temple in order to complete this Nazarite vow and to say I'm consecrating myself to the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob while he did that there was a great disruption in the city and the Jews were angry because this is the man who said forsake the way of Moses and so They gathered around Paul, and Paul stood up and he said, this is the way of Jesus. In fact, everything that you know about God and his promises have all been pointing towards this moment when God comes as the Messiah in the person of Jesus and through his life, death, and resurrection brings about salvation for everyone. That message was not well received, and Paul was thrown into prison. And he sat in prison, and then he was taken up to a town called Caesarea. Caesarea was a capital of this area. Jerusalem had been. Pontius Pilate, this is where he lived. It was uh, uh, There was under Herod new construction work taking place all the time with great jetties that went out into the ocean and creating its capital. And this is where Felix was. Felix was, at this time, the the governor of the Jerusalem area. And this is where we pick up now in Acts 24. Now, this is a long text. It's very long. I did not choose it, but here we go. When we get into narratives, one of the things that I suggest with narratives is that you close your eyes and you imagine what's going on. You listen for the sounds. You hear the voices. You imagine the people in their robes or whatever it is that they're wearing, surrounded by a mixture of Roman and Palestinian architecture. But just imagine what's going on in this scene. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullius presented This case before Felix, we haven't enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most Felix, we acknowledge you with this profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you any further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us just briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. Stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn about the truth of all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I will gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you these charges that they are now making against me. However, I do admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe that it is in accordance with the law and that it is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and before men. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring these charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing that I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is the concerning of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he says, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently, and he talked with him. When two years has passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. Because Felix wanted to grant the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Let's pray. Father God, as we are encountered by you through the revelation of your word and by the ministry of your spirit, may you point us to Jesus. May you break every chain, set prisoners free, and bring us into your heavenly abode. We ask all these things in your son's name, amen. So let's first look at Tertullius's. What we're going to do here is we're going to look at the arguments made from Tertullius and then the defense that Paul gives for himself. And then we're going to spend a lot of time in what the heck Paul was doing with these two years in prison. So the argument that is made against Paul is that he is first a troublemaker, There it says, we found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. If you remember Paul, he never went around stirring up riots. All he did was he was preaching the good news of Jesus. Yet there was something about this good news that challenged the status quo of every city they went into. And there are people who did riot and followed after him. But as Paul will make defense for himself in a second, those accusers aren't present today. He was a ringleader. They were saying that he was one who was a ringleader of the way. That he was going about and creating this new sect called the way. And then finally, that he was a desecrator. The, The claim against Paul is that he took a Gentile into the temple Which, if you go back and read the story, he didn't. But all these things were laid against Paul. Now, this is really key to understand what's happening, is that here's Tertullius, right? Here's this man who has been brought by the behest of the Sanhedrin. And this man, at his core, is not a good man. He is engaged in quite literal injustice. He is engaged in taking the law and twisting it just ever so slightly to give those who are in power even more power. Here is Paul, a weak man, unjustly accused, and all he can do is preach Christ. Let's see what he says. It says that Paul, excuse me. It says that Paul cannot find his accusers anywhere. That was one of the things in common court, both within Jewish and and Roman court was that if you're going to lay down an accusation, we know within Jewish law, they were to bring several several different witnesses. And then with Roman law, it was completely illegal to not have accusers present at all. And so here's the first strike that is made against Tertullius' argument. The accusers aren't there. The second strike being Paul being a ringleader of the way of the sect. What Paul comes back and he says, is if you notice here in verse 14, however that I admit admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written within the prophets. And I have the same hope in God that these men themselves have. What he is saying here is, hey, Felix, these guys are Sadducees. You know, back in Jerusalem, there's some Pharisees. You probably also know about the Zealots and all the problems they're creating. And maybe you've heard of the Essenes, who are kind of like the Amish of the Jewish community, living out in caves and writing the Dead Sea Scrolls. But it was very common for this time for there to be many different sects within the Jewish experience. And Paul's just saying, here's all these other different sects. What about us? Can't we be one too? And so Paul is saying, you know what? We are an expression of this same faith. We are an expression of the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We follow the same God that they do. But here's the thing that's setting us apart. The thing that's setting us apart from them is the belief in the power of the resurrection. In the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. In the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees did. But along in the way, we say that Jesus is our life and our resurrection. That in him is the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made. In him, we find our final yes. That Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection, Paul would claim, overcame the powers, the rulers, the princes, and the authorities. That he came over death and sin so that we could have life. And then finally, this attitude that Paul was a desecrator. Paul says that, I came to Jerusalem to bring my gifts to the poor and to present offerings. This is verse 18. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges that they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing that I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is the concerning of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. And so the Sanhedrin, Tertullius, is making this claim that Paul is a ringleader, that Paul is a troublemaker, that Paul is a desecrator. And one by one by one, Paul says, Not true, not true, not true. Okay, case closed, right? It's what you would expect with a just government, with just leaders. But Felix, he's not such a just guy, he's known for his evil. He's known for his greed. I mean, he literally goes down as one of the worst governors within all of Roman history. And so, he waits. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. And he ordered a centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he's, he's just playing the game. He's not really concerned about the truth. He's concerned about maintaining power and order in a way that serves him. Paul knows this. Paul takes advantage of this. And so, Paul, every day, is brought before Felix, and Felix is trying to get a bribe from him. Paul is a man, most likely, of great wealth. He's a Roman citizen. He was able to pay for the sacrifices and the offerings for these four men without blinking an eye on Pentecost with the Nazarite vow. Not just that, but he also has an entire offering that the church has been taking up to bring back to the poor in Jerusalem. And Felix knows it, and he wants in on it. And so he tries to extort Paul. And instead, Paul simply proclaims, what all, of, what all of Christendom, what all of Christianity has been praying, proclaiming in regards to righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. It's that last one. That's a stickler. You see Paul was a man of means. In Philippians chapter 3 we see that Paul while he was sitting in prison he wrote several epistles and this was one of them. He says that I was a tri- of the tribe of Benjamin according to the law of pharisee. I had all of these things that were for me that were part of me that were my identity and then he says, and I count it all as dung in comparison to knowing the power of Christ, that I may somehow attain his resurrection. Paul went from being one of the greatest and strongest people within his movement to being weak, to being a prisoner. To being in chains. And he did not let those chains stop him from preaching the king, Jesus. And in fact, it was because of his chains that he was able to preach Jesus. You see, all of his accusers would go around and say, Paul, you're in chains How can you say that Jesus is the king of the universe? If he's the king of the universe, then why are you sitting in chains? Why are you sitting in prison? Why are you underneath house arrest? If Jesus is the king of the universe, shouldn't he be powerful enough to keep you from all of this? But it's because of his weakness that God is strong in him. It's because of his chains that Paul is actually free. It's because of the persecution that Paul is able to say, I'm feeling what's up, lacking in the sufferings of Christ. We live in a world that is an onslaught of evil, against righteousness, of self-control, and evading judgment. And the good news, the good news is that we have a king who is going to make everything right. We have a king who's going to break every chain. We have a king who is going to loosen all bonds What chains you? What binds you? What lies does the enemy creep in and tell? Paul, as he is sitting in prison, most likely in Rome, so just a little bit further down in his story, he writes the letter to the Ephesians. And as he's sitting in prison, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, let's pause there for a second. Eyes of the hearts, that's our imagination. That's a visionary perspective. He says, "I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance, and His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That the power that the power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead, and seated Him at His hand in the heavenly realms." Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I remember when I was in seminary; uh, I was traveling back and forth. I was school school in Chicago, and uh, we would come down to Dayton because my buddy Justin and I both lived here. And as we're driving, we were going through the book of Ephesians, uh, because that's what seminarians do for some reason on a road trip. You're just like, hey, let's read the book of Ephesians. Um, But we're going through the book of Ephesians, and I'm like, man, I just don't get this. Like, I don't get what Paul's trying to do here. And he tells me basically what I just told you, that, that Paul has all these accusers, that he's sitting in prison, that he doesn't Uh, that he doesn't let those chains hold him back. And in fact, that it's his chains themselves that speak into the greatness and the power of the resurrection in his life. That he's able to not be bound by his chains. And the reason that he's able to do that is because he's got this glorious vision of what Christ is seated on high. And it was incredible. We're driving through... The, 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 the cornfields of Indiana, just outside of West Lafayette, where Purdue's at. And as he's sharing this, it was incredible. I had this, like, this is really weird for me to share. It's, Mike shares stuff like this, and it's just kind of like something he does. I've never really shared this, something like this from stage before. But it was like the heavens opened up, and I could see chariots, And angelic beings, and this surrounding of just gold and light. And it was like this is what's going on behind the scenes. This is the veil that has been torn in two. That we can see. That Jesus has been raised above every power and ruler and prince and authority against all beings who are against us in the spiritual realm, against the ones who are chaining us down. And Paul writes that he has made a footstool out of his enemies. That's Jesus sitting on a throne with a little cage Of all the enemies underneath his feet. So what is Paul doing with these two years in prison? He's making the most of it. In the letter to the Philippians, it says that uh, he, which I like to think he wrote from Caesarea, but that he got to share the good news with the whole palace guard. That his chains, uh, as a result, has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I love the way that song just said it, that it's taken the chains off of us and arrested the enemy. listen to me if you are in Christ you're free you're free this is what we do excuse me for a second We're like, as the book of Ephesians says, it says we were once lost, we were once dead, we were following the, the power of the ruler, of the prince of the air, and we were dead like the rest of mankind, that we were walking dead even, that we were like zombies and chains, just walking around, moping, dead, formless, void. We're chained in death and sin. We're captive by an enemy who wants nothing but to take us to hell with him. And then Christ broke every chain. And we're free. free this past week didn't feel free for me the enemy got in started to cause me to question did God really say are you really loved surely Becky doesn't love you. If she doesn't love you, maybe your family doesn't love you. Maybe God doesn't love you. And I went and I picked up the chains and I put them back on. Well, it's not true. It's never been true, because while I might put the chains back on, Jesus don't see me as a prisoner anymore. He's taken the chains, and he's forged them into this. We are the bride of Christ. He has gotten down on one knee, and he has said, will you be mine forever? He's laid out a feast for us to enjoy, to remind us regularly through his blood and broken flesh, that we are one with him and he is one with us. And we celebrate and we look forward to the day when the enemy and death and sin and darkness are cast away forever. And all that is left is good and light and life and love. It's that vision that Paul is living out now. While he is sitting in chains, they have no power over him. He is free. And so are you. So as the band comes and gathers, Maybe you got some chains that you need to leave up here at the front. Maybe you're here and you've never been set free. There's freedom for you today. There is hope for you today in the person of Jesus Christ, who is our life, who is our death, and who is our resurrection. And he invites you home. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you that you saw that it was fit to meet us in the depth of our sin and brokenness. And it was while we were yet sinners that you died for us. That you buried us with you in your death. And that by the Spirit, you raised us with your resurrection. That you have ascended upon high. And by the gift of your Spirit, you now dwell in us today. May your Spirit encourage us with this word. May your Spirit send us with this word. And may your Spirit break every chain. In Jesus' name, amen.